Hey, Brian Hubbard here, pastor at Rock House Baptist Church. I want to personally thank you for tuning in to our podcast today. We pray that the message inspires you, encourages you, and challenges you to be the person God wants you to be. Be sure to check us out online at rockhousebaptist.org where you can find out more on how to connect, grow, and go. Now for today's message. Well, this morning, the title of our sermon is um, Our Spiritual Identity. Now, you may have the answer to that, and if you do, that's great. But just hear me out for the next 15 or so minutes, okay? Our spiritual identity. And I'm going to repeat a few things this morning. You're going to say, he's already said that. Maybe that's the Holy Spirit saying you might want to pay attention to that as we go through it, okay? Uh, Because I felt like as I was praying this week, the word was, hey, this is what I need you to, to preach. So, um, if you have your Bibles, turn them to Galatians chapter 2. We're going to hone in on verses 11 through 21. But before we dive into chapter 2, we're going to look at Galatians chapter 1, and we're going to talk about what, why, what and why, and to whom the book of Galatians was wrote to, for, and about. Okay, Obviously, the book of Galatians was wrote to a church in Galatia, okay? It's based around the basis of justification uh, by faith in Jesus Christ. Now, you have to put yourself in those people's shoes at this time. They were under the Mosaic Law. What does that mean? We're going to get into it a little bit more, but it talked about following the law to be justified in the eyes of Jesus Christ. Talk about that some in just a minute. But these were the Gentile people, the Gentile believers, okay? Not the chosen Jewish people that God had called His chosen people. So, I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that somebody cared for the Gentiles and took the gospel to them. Otherwise, guess what? We're probably not sitting here today. That's you and I, if you if you don't know that. Alrighty. These new, were new believers, and if you know what I'm saying in a new believer, sometimes they're easily swayed. Would you say that? They may hear one thing from a guy on uh, on TV or on a podcast, and they say, hmm, that's good. And then they may hear something else, and they kind of contradict, and then they have to really get into the Bible and, and really talk about which is which and what's the truth and what is the Word of God. But here in verse 6 in chapter 1, the church starts to deviate from what Paul had instructed them on. And in chapter or chapter 1, verse 6, Paul says, I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from Him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Folks, how many knows under the sound of my voice there is no other gospel? Amen? There's only one. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Then Paul continues on to defend his apostleship and his ministry up into where we are today in Scripture. As I mentioned before, we're going to discuss our identity because I believe us Christians, our identity is of the utmost importance. Now hear me out. Our identity reflects the relationships we have with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It reflects the relationships we have with others. Our identity determines how we live our lives. Think about that. How am I living my life? Is it through Jesus Christ? Is He completing His will for my life because I'm living for Him, okay? 
Think about that this morning. Now, we're going to dive into some other things that we may find our identity in, which may be the opposite of what Jesus Christ has for us. I have been a guilty person of this. Sometimes we get caught up in identifying ourselves with our jobs. Hey, Brian Hubbard, assistant principal. Hmm. While that may be true, it should be, hey, Brian Hubbard, a slave for Jesus, as we've been talking about. Okay? You might get caught up in identifying yourself from where you're from. I've been guilty of this. Everybody knows that. Or how you grew up. Or what church you may have grew up in and their doctrine. But folks, if you call yourself a Christian, there is only one way to be identified, and that is that your identification lies in Jesus Christ. There is no other place but Him. And through His blood, you are redeemed. And my friends, I don't know about you, but it's the only place I want to be. Can I get amen? I don't want to be anywhere else but to be identified with Jesus Christ, no matter what I'm in. Again, our relationships are affected. Yes, I said that again. I'm going to say it one more time. Our relationships are affected by our identity. And if we're not careful, we can be a poor witness for God. And in Scripture that we're going to read today, you're going to see that. You're going to see a religious confrontation between two of the leading apostles. Apostle Peter, Cephas, also known as, and Apostle Paul. And we're going to see how they worked out that disagreement but it sparks a reminder that our true identity is in Jesus Christ alone. So let's go to chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. And it brings about our first point this morning. Our witness. Who we are as a witness for God. Verse 11 says this, But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Now remind you, Peter is traveling, sharing the gospel. That's how we get to here. For he regularly ate with the Gentiles before certain men came from James. However, when they came, he withdrew and separated himself because he feared those from the circumcision party, a.k.a. the Judaizers, the Jews. Okay, we'll dive into that a little more. The rest of the Jews joined his hypocrisy so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Verse 14, But when I saw that they were deviating from the truth of the gospel, I told Cephas in front of everyone, If you, who are a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that our witness for you proves that our identity lies in you. Lord, that there's no other way to heaven but through the cross of Christ, through the blood that poured out for us. Father, open our eyes and our hearts and our minds to what you have for us this morning. If there's somebody here who doesn't know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, I pray today is the day of salvation, Father. Let them know that there's no other way. You can't be good enough. You can't earn your way. But only through submission to Jesus Christ may we have eternal life. It's in Jesus' most precious name I pray. Amen. So right away in these verses, we see a confrontation for Christ. Again, the two leading apostles. I mean, these guys are burning up the streets, the highways and byways, telling people about Jesus. Now, 
We have two conflicting views. We have Apostle Paul's view. We have Peter's actions. We're going to talk about that a little bit in just a minute. But Peter's actions allowed people to be discouraged in their belief in Christ. You have to remember, he is in front of people who are new believers. Not somebody who is sound and firm and, and can quote Scripture. They are brand new to the Gospel. And due to Mosaic Law, as we talked about, Jews and Gentiles were not allowed to associate with each other. It would be very similar if you were in America and you said, well, this is the high class of people and this is the low class and there's no intermingling because, well, you're in the high class and, well, I'm in the low class. Very similar to that. There's more to it, but that's just a quick breakdown. Now, Scripture tells us that Peter, being a Jew, regularly ate with the Gentiles as he ministered to them. Before this, there was a time when Peter was known as the apostle to the Jews, meaning he only took the gospel to guess who? The Jews, right? He only took the gospel to them. And then in your readings, I believe last week it was, sometimes I'm a little off because I read ahead a little bit, in Acts chapter 10, this took place in Peter's vision and his uh, ideas about taking the gospel changed completely. In verse 9, it should be on the screen, says, the next day as they were traveling and nearing the city, Peter got up to pray on the roof about noon. He became, he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they were preparing something, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and an object that resembled a large sheet coming down, being lowered by its four corners to the earth. In it were four-footed animals and reptiles of the earth and the birds of the sky. And a voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Verse 14. No, Lord, Peter said, for I have never eaten anything impure and ritually unclean. Again, for the second time, the voice said to him, What God has made clean, amen, <laughs> do not call impure. This happened three times, and suddenly the object was taken up into heaven. Now this vision for you and I, is very, very important. Theologically, the vision was speaking of the Old Testament Mosaic Law and what you could eat and what you couldn't eat and what would defile your body. But the vision is much more than that. The vision was saying that Jesus Christ has called for the gospel to go to the ends of the earth. Now that would mean outside the Jewish realm of things. He calls us to preach to every nation. And after this, Peter's, after Peter's vision, he understands that, hey, I'm no longer an apostle to just the Jews. I have to go to the Gentiles as well. Folks, this means that all people, hear me out, all people deserve to hear the gospel. Whether they're walking the roads or in a castle high somewhere, all people deserve to hear the gospel. And again, I'm so thankful for that because this old middle forker, Probably wouldn't be where he's at today if Apostle Peter hadn't took this vision and spread it and then spread it to Paul. And as we're going to get into that in just a little bit. It's Christ's command that all people be united. Hear that? United through his death, burial, and resurrection. That's it. There's no other way. There's no other gospel. But in verse 12, we seem to change the scenery when men of James walk in 
And these men were considered to be Jews and disciple of James, James being the uh, half-brother to Jesus, okay? We see Peter change his whole demeanor. Have you ever been around somebody like that? They're this way in this crowd, and then they're this way in this crowd. Buddy, Apostle Paul wasn't about to stand for it. <laughs> Scripture tells us that Peter withdrew himself from the Gentiles because of fear of the circumcision party, also known as the Judaizers, the people who were coming to judge instead of love. I often wonder how many times we're like that, though. And we become afraid of what our reputation may be in lieu of serving Jesus. Folks, let that not be us this morning. Hear this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Let it not be that we're caught up in a worldly view of what we should be doing or somebody else's opinion that is outside of the gospel, but rather focus our eyes on Jesus as we talked about last week and run the race. Allow His will to live in your life. But we see because of Peter's decision the effects that it had on other believers around him. Barnabas. Does anybody remember Barnabas' name? Son of what? Encouragement. Was led astray by Peter's actions. So you may see this. Our actions affect even the most positive people in the Lord. Many people inside and outside of the church would call these folks hypocrites. I'm sure you've heard that word. If you've ever been in church, you say, well, he's a hypocrite. He may preach on Sunday. <laughs> now, I'm going to use me as an example, okay? But he's cussing at the ball games on Friday night and Sunday night or Tuesday night. I see him going crazy over there yelling at them kids. I've probably been guilty. I'm not going to stand before you and act like I've not. But many times, folks, our witness may change the view of what Christian, meaning little Christ, truly is. Think about that. Dwight L. Moody says this about living a Christian life in a sin-filled world. The great Dwight L. Moody says, Christians should live in the world, but not be filled with it. A ship lives in the water, but if the water gets into the ship, she goes to the bottom. So Christians may live in the world, but if the world gets into them, they sink. Think about how powerful that is. I'm so thankful that Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 2, verse 14. Why, you may ask? Let's read it again. But when I saw that they were deviating from the truth of the gospel, I told Cephas in front of everyone, if you who are a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? Paul's basically saying this in our old terms. How do you say one thing and do another? Or how come your actions don't match your words in front of certain people? I think the worst thing we can be as a Christian is a lukewarm, fence-straddling Christian. I think that that is not a good witness for Jesus Christ. I'd almost rather to be all in and be talked about than all out and be accompanied by the world. Paul knew that the true gospel was really important to getting to the Gentiles. Why, you may ask, just like you and me, our eternity relies in the gospel. 
Paul and Peter now, I'm going to give you some context, they had been there for a while. I'm not sure at the time, but through the Gospels, it talks about them going town to town and preaching to the Gentiles. And Paul did not want Peter's actions to destroy the relationships of the Gentiles. Let that be a key for us. We may do 99 things right, one thing wrong, somebody may hang on to that. But it's through prayer that their eyes be open to our other actions. Peter's actions could demolish the belief of the Gentiles. And if you remember, I told you that Galatians was based on the faith that we have in Jesus Christ alone. That's the only thing that saves us. The imagery of Peter's actions, though, was, again, due to the old uh, Mosaic law. People thought they had to follow the law to the T. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody that says, I'm not good enough to come to church? <laughs> I haven't done all the right things. There's no way that God would allow me in the church. Or, uh, you mean he goes there? Well, if he goes there, then I can go there. It's all good kind of thing, right? Think about those words. You hear them every day. You hear people come to you saying, you mean to tell me that old Mike neighbor, he goes up there? Yeah, yeah, Mike goes there, yeah. He's my father-in-law, by the way. I've not really had that conversation, but I just caught him out of the corner of my eye. But you know as well as I do, that's conversations that's being held in the community. It's the truth. Jesus said, don't think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets, but I've, come to, I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. That's how Jesus taught. He come to say, look, the law is not the way. Love is the way. Charles Spurgeon says this about how we live for Christ. It is good to speak for Christ whenever you have a fair opportunity, but your life will be the best sermon. As I say, Dwight L. Moody says, out of a hundred people, one person's going to read the Bible. The other 99's what? Going to read the Christian. They're going to look at you. There used to be an old gold plate up here when we had this um, uh, pulpit back in uh, the day. And on that pulpit, there was a little gold plate again that read, Sir, we would see Jesus. May our lives speak of the same. May we be a light for Jesus. And that takes us into our second point this morning. We're going to talk about our justification. How are we justified? I'm going to ask somebody else beside Brother Steve because I know he's got the right answer. How are we justified in Christ? Here we go. Verse 15 through 18 in your Bibles, it says, We are Jews by birth. Now this is Paul talking to Peter. Remember, this is a confrontation they're having. He says, We are Jews by birth, not Gentile sinners. And yet, because we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even ourselves have believed in Christ Jesus. This was so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. But if we ourselves have also found to be sinners while seeking to be justified by Christ, is Christ then a promoter of sin? Absolutely not. Some Bibles say, may it never be. If I rebuild those things that I tore down, I show myself to be a lawbreaker. Now we're going to dive in a little bit on this. 
But as I was studying this week, I come across the word justification, and it kept hounding me. And I said, I'm going to Google. Here you go, you know, not the information that I need for this sermon. But I am going to Google the definition biblically for justification. And it says this, the action of being, or I'm sorry, the action of declaring or being made righteous in the sight of God. Paul is speaking to Peter, and he's saying, look, you and I are Jews by birth. We are the chosen people. We're not Gentiles, but our birthright is not our right to salvation. And just because we're Jews, the chosen people, Paul again points out that isn't enough. Kind of like basing everything we do on works, doing all good works, thinking that's going to make us righteous, and that's not the case. Paul points out that our works in our birthright does not count as our salvation. And he really drives home this truth in Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 24. He says this, But now, apart from the law, Apostle Paul says, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. Verse 22, The righteousness of God is through faith, amen, in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction. I love that word. There is no distinction. For all have sinned, Jew, Gentile, don't matter, and fall short of the glory of God. But they are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is Jesus Christ. This scripture kind of reminded me of the old song. Uh, I got a kick out of it. I don't know if you all will. Sung by the group called The Clash. Now my mom may be the only one that knows this. I fought the law in the law one. You can try to be perfect and fulfill that law, but that law's going to win every time. You're not going to live up to it. I got tickled at that. I apologize. Paul goes on to say in verse 17, though, let it not be seen that Christ is a promoter of sin. He says, if I rebuild those things that I tore down, I show myself to be a lawbreaker. This is kind of like those folks who say I'm a Christian, but when something comes negatively their way, they run back to the old outlets that they know to give them relief. It's kind of like saying, you know what, I'm saved, but I'm just going to go on living as I please. Which in turn shows Jesus as a promoter of sin. I know the Bible says where sin abounds, what? Grace abounds all the more. But that doesn't give us a right to sin, Paul says. <laughs> Scripture says it's in our own doing that we're the ones who turn away from God. I'm pretty sure God says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. So if we turn away from God, it's because we turned away from God. He will always forgive you. But you have to come with an open heart at the foot of the cross, willing to give it to Him. You see, these Judaizers, though, these people who believe in the Mosaic laws we talked about before, would use this against Paul and Peter and some of the apostles and say, look, you're breaking the law. Hey, they used it against Jesus. I mean, they walked through the field and messed with some grain, and they said, you're doing work on the Sabbath. They would say that you're using Jesus to break the law. And that was so not the truth. And Paul refutes that 
uh, comment in verses 19 through 21, and we're going to dive into our last point really quick. Jesus being our identification. If you don't hear nothing this morning, hear these next three verses and then tune me back out. But Jesus is our identification. Verse 19. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith. Hear that? In the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. You see, Paul understood the law was perfect and that no one was going to live up to it. So what's the answer to that? It's easy as this. Die to yourself. Die to the law. Die to good works. Die to anything that makes you think you're worthy other than giving your heart to Jesus Christ. What's this mean? To die to something literally means to be cut off from, biblically speaking. We have no relationship with the law because our relationship is with Jesus. We're not under the law. We're under what? God's grace and His mercy. That's how we're saved. We are identified with Christ Jesus. If you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, hear this. Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new what? Creature, creation. Depends on whatever you read. Same meaning. The old has passed away. Amen. The old you is gone. The old Brian Hubbard of six years ago is gone. And see, the new has come. I don't know about you, but aren't you glad the new you has come? Think about the old you. Compare it to the new you. Hopefully there's a difference. And I love that in Paul, or what Paul says in verse 20, the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Folks, if you don't hear anything, hear that. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, that means He loved you too, and gave Himself for me as a ransom. As we begin to close, and again, I'm usually long on my closings here, I want to tell you this morning, and you may already know this, that you can have a relationship with Jesus today based on what God did for you. Does everybody in here know what John 3.16 says? Help me out. For God so loved the world, His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life, or life in eternity. Do you know what that means? <laughs> eternity. I always say eternity is much too long to get it wrong. Amen? Much too long to get it wrong. I'm so thankful that I have eternal life. I'm so thankful that God would consider me worthy enough to send His only Son. I've got two girls. You're not getting one of them to save you. I'm sorry. But God will never fail you. He loves you enough that He would do that for you. So remember, before you go home today, remember this. What has God done for you? Make it personal. Make it personal. What has God done for you? Think about that and live for Him as we go on our way.
Don't live for anybody else. Don't live for any higher power other than Jesus Christ. There's someone here today that doesn't know Jesus. As we open this altar up, would you come? If you've got something to take before Him, would you come? Whatever's on your heart, pray about it. Prayer changes things. Amen? That's the bottom line. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You for Your Word this morning. Lord, sometimes Your Word just strikes in different ways. Lord, I pray this morning that we find our identity if it has been lost. That we keep our eyes on You and we seek You, Father. As the, as the song says, Lord, there's nothing better than You. Let us not turn to anything else but Jesus Christ. Father, if there's somebody here today that doesn't know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, I pray that today is the day of salvation. Father, if there's somebody here that makes, needs to make amends with You, Father, I pray that they do that before they leave. Father, if there's somebody here that wants to serve You, become members of the church. But more importantly, become members of the body of Christ. Lord, I pray that their hearts are open this morning. Father, I pray that the people here are like Apostle Paul and they stand for the truth. Lord, that means we've got to know the truth. That means we've got to read Your Word. Father, that means we've got to have a relationship with You that is undeniable. That the old verse, Sir, we would see Jesus when we walk the streets, when we go into the schools, when we go into our workplaces that Jesus is seen through us. Father, we love You. We thank You for Your grace and mercy. Let us never take it for granted. Not one single second, Father, that Your grace be overlooked. To think that we're good without You. As the old song says, I need You. Every hour, I need You. Lord, You're our shelter. You're a rock and a refuge. Father, let us seek You. You tell us we will find You if we seek You. Father, we thank You for everything Jesus Christ is for us and done for us. And through His most precious name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in today. Remember, the greatest decision you could ever make is to place your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation and to begin a personal relationship with Him. Thanks for listening and God bless.